You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. great to hear your voices and see the smiles on uh, most of your faces as you praise God. You can turn, pick up a Bible if you don't have one. Grab the one in the seat in front of you and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be verses 38 to 42. If you don't own a Bible, take that one as our gift to you. You can see our the main points are in the bulletin, so you can review them later. There's pencils in the seats, so you can make notes great to see a few little kids up with us, more like the way it was in the, in the days past. So up downstairs, upstairs, we don't care. They're welcome with us. Today's message is called A Biblical Response to the Use of Violence. And it, we carry on in our series on the Sermon of the Mount, the Manifesto of the King, the series is called. This uh, will sort of introduce uh, the concept that will tie into next week as God changes our hearts and gives us a new way to live in this world. So let's read this together. Matthew 5, verses 38 to 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Well, God, today we're going to deal with uh, one of your uh, challenges to us. Uh, Lord, and I know there are many different uh, misconceptions of what you were trying to say, and and there's been a whole denomination started off of these very words. But God, I pray you would help us to see what you, uh, the God who came to live on this planet as a man and uh, be perfect in every way, and yet uh, give himself for us as a sacrifice, wanted your followers to know. And how does that apply to us here in 2020? I pray you would help us, um, bless us so that we wouldn't walk out of here just another church service in the books, that we would walk out of here changed um, and more of your people, more kingdom people. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said in the prayer, one of uh, this message or this these verses are some of the most misunderstood uh, verses in the New Testament, probably the most misunderstood uh, verse in the Sermon on the Mount. Because, and it's important for us to all recognize, we all have a bias. Uh, we all come to God's word with a bias. We all come with baggage. Uh, it comes from our life experiences. It comes from our preferences. It comes from the way we were raised. Uh, but whatever it is, we're all approaching God's word with some sort of bias uh, skewed towards the way we want to think. Um, we're bringing our baggage into it. And if we're not careful, we can make the Bible say whatever we want it to say. Right. If, we, if we're not careful, we can use the Bible to uh, to uh, 
abuse people. We can use the Bible to take from people. We can use the Bible to justify having multiple partners. Uh, We can use the Bible uh, to justify giving body parts as wedding gifts. And if you want to see more on that, see 1 Samuel, what David gave uh, Saul for his wedding. But with kids present, I won't go any further. Point is, is that when we're reading God's word, we really, really need to come at it with an intentional clear mind we have to come at it with an the attitude that says god i don't want to know i don't want you to say what i want you to say i want you to speak the truth to me i don't want to let my experiences and my bias uh, skew a message i want to know what is truth and what is right even if it means i'm wrong and even if it means i have to change And I had to do that for this sermon because I come at this sermon with a bias based off my experiences in the military. And and I can't do that. And so I really needed to research. I really needed to take time to say, what is Jesus saying to us and how do we apply it to our 21st century lives? So I've broken it down in three uh, sort of... uh, Steps. First, we're going to spend a little bit of time look at the background. That's going to not only help us today, uh, but next week uh, as well. Then we're going to look at what Jesus isn't saying from these verses. Uh, a lot of things that people think he is saying, but he isn't saying. And then we're going to try and uh, hone in on what we believe he is telling his apostles. So, so I got five points. They're all in the um, in your bulletins. Uh, just some things to keep in the mind for our background as we look at this. First of all, it's good to remind ourselves, if you've been here for the whole series, you would know this. It's good to remind ourselves that Jesus is talking to Christians, to followers of Jesus Christ, uh, not to Sunday Christians, uh, not to wayward wanderers, uh, not to religious people, not to secular people. He's talking to people who have left their family, left their jobs, and are following Jesus Christ. He's not giving instruction how to set up a secular government. He's not giving an instruction on how religious people should do their customs and their ceremonies. He's not talking to free lunch Christians. He is talking to those who have come to him. And we know that from verse 1 of chapter 5, or verses 1 to 3, when it says, Jesus saw the crowds, the multitudes of unbelievers and religious people. They're all coming to hear this Jesus. And he left them, and he went up the hill, sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Second thing we should keep in mind is it's possible to, it is, sorry, it is impossible to do this without the power of the Holy Spirit helping us. Uh, It's impossible to do these things that God is asking us to do. You can't do it by white knuckling. You can't do it by gritting your teeth um, and, and willing yourself to change. You need God inside of you changing your heart and transforming your mind. I've heard some people say in the past, Ah, the Sermon on the Mount is everything I need for Christian life and faith. I don't need the rest of the Bible. I don't need Paul's epistles. I don't need the Old Testament. And I I think to myself, "Are, Are you serious? Have you read uh, the Sermon on the Mount? Do you know what he is asking us to do? In some ways, the Ten Commandments sounds easier to follow. Uh, Just don't do these things and do these things. Uh, It's all external actions. But Jesus is going to the heart of the people. He is wanting heart transformation. That Christians, those who follow him, their hearts would be changed. And because of that, the outside, the external would also be changed. And we can't do that alone. Number three, and this goes into what I said at the start. Uh, When you look at the Bible, you need to look at when is Jesus talking? Is this 
4,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago? Is this after Jesus uh, has been resurrected? Um, when, when is he talking and who is he addressing? Oh, who are the people? Is it secular people? Is it religious people? Is it followers of Jesus Christ? And once we understand the scene, then we can look at how it best applies to our lives. Life is very different in 2022 in Canada than it is in Africa in 2022 or in Eastern Europe in 2022. And it's very different from it was the way it was in the first century. Number four. Notice that Jesus is exerting his authority over all other authorities. Verse 38, you have heard it said, but I say. He keeps saying this for a reason. Uh, remembering that uh, almost 2,000 years prior to this, Moses had given the Ten Commandments to the Israelites. And the Israelites then would uh, recite it to each other. Not many of them read, but they had great memories. And they would retain knowledge and recite it from generation to generation. But they also had what we could call pastors. They were called rabbis in those days. And so everyone had their favorite rabbi. But unfortunately, as pastors and rabbis sometimes do, they would skew the message based towards their bias in their opinion. And so they'd be debating uh, a piece of the Old Testament and Rabbi uh, uh, Shish Kebabs would come up and say, uh, uh, this is my opinion on this. And others would say, oh yeah, I agree. He's right. And they, and they would tell others his opinion. Uh, and, and, and then uh, uh, Rabbi Shwarma would come up and, and, and he'd say, oh, but this is my opinion and I'm more liberal leaning. And, and others would say, yeah, I agree with that. And so along the way, the messages would get skewed. Because people didn't necessarily have it there. Only uh, the very educated had it written. And Jesus is saying, you've heard it said by this guy. And you've heard it said by that guy. And this guy. And I don't really care who your favorite pastors are. I say this. I'm asserting my authority over everyone else. And this is what I say. And the last thing is we need to remember whenever we're reading the Bible. That Jesus, that God, knows what is best for us. And that is the only way that you can approach Scripture and faith and life. If you want to be a Christian who picks and chooses what he's going to follow, as long as it agrees with you and, and your worldview and the way uh, you look at the world, it's not going to work. Your Christianity is going to be a sad disappointment. And your life is not going to reap the fruit that God desires you to reap. We as Canadians, in our highly educated uh, viewpoints, think we know better than God, but we don't. And we only need to look at our nation and see that. We don't know better than God. And so sometimes when, when uh, you know, the average yuppie or snowflake North American reads this, they say, oh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. How barbaric of God. I don't want anything to do with a God like that. How dare he say that? A tooth for a tooth? Really? That is so Stone Age. Right? That's how, that's how some people view it. But they obviously don't know the world. They obviously, most of them haven't traveled outside of Canada and been to other countries, third world countries. They obviously haven't read history to know that what God was enacting here in the Old Testament and what Jesus is carrying on uh, was an improvement upon the way people were living their lives. What when God laid down the law in Exodus chapter 21, verse 24, and he said, 
an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He was what's called limiting vengeance. It's called lex talionos, which means the law of exact retribution. Okay, following me? That means God says you can't take it any further than exactly what's been done for you. Why did he say that? Because that's what people were doing. They were taking it way overboard. It's not human tendency to repay somebody exactly for what uh, they've done to you, is it? Usually we go way overboard. You poked out one of my eyes. Now I'm going to poke out both of your eyes and you're going to be blind. You knocked out one of my teeth. Now I'm going to knock out all your teeth and you're going to wear dentures for the rest of your life. Right? That's what humans do. We often take it way overboard, which is why we see uh, all the problems of the world. Right? This person did this to me. Therefore, I'm going to escalate it and bring it tenfold. We see it in the right in the early on in history. If we look at Genesis chapter 4. Most people know Genesis chapter 4 from the story of Cain and Abel, right? The sons of Adam and Eve. And Cain gets jealous of Abel and kills Abel. And God questions Cain and says, where's your brother? And he's, I don't know where he is. I'm not my brother's keeper. And then God says, yeah, you killed him. His blood cries out for justice. And because of that, you're going to be cursed to wander this earth with the guilt of killing your own brother. And Cain says, well, I can't do that. That's, that's too heavy a burden. And by Uh, And if I leave here, everyone will kill me. They'll just kill me. And then, so God in verse five of chapter four says, uh, it says, the Lord replied to him, in that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. But Cain then leaves and he has children and then he has grandchildren and then he has great grandchildren. It it says it along there who his children, great grandchildren and great, great grandchildren were. And then it settles on this guy named Lamech his great-great-grandson. And in verse 23 of chapter 4, Lamech takes it way further, way overboard. Listen to what he does. Lamech said to his wives, uh, Adea and Zillah, hear my voice, wives of Lamech. I wonder what happened if I talked to Rebecca that way. Hear my voice, wife of Benjamin. She'd be like, you talking to me? I don't think so. But... Then he says, for I killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is to be avenged seven times over, then Lamech, it will be 77 times. You see what he's doing? He's saying, if that's the way they did there, you strike me, now I'm going to kill you blind. And that's what humans do to each other outside of a kingdom heart. So that's sort of the background we need to to view these next two sermons at. And so, okay, so now what is Jesus not saying? What are some common uh, misconceptions of these verses, which have built whole denominations out of? Let's read those verses again. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go over a mile, go with him too. First common or misconception of these verses is some people think we don't need authorities. Uh, There are whole groups of Christians who think that any sort of authority that has the ability to use force is evil and wrong. Uh, They're what we would call uh, extreme pacifists. 
There are uh, many different denominations of them. Anabaptists, uh, Mennonites, uh, Amish. Uh, they believe that these authorities, the police and military and judicial systems, are evil. And uh, one of the guys that thought like him uh, was a guy, a very famous guy named Leo Tolsky. Some of you have maybe read one of his most famous books, War and Peace. I haven't read it yet. I've heard it's pretty long and boring. Maybe some of you can tell me, but it's very famous. And another book he wrote was called What I Believe. And he was a big influencer uh, back in the day. And he, he wrote this in his book, What I Believe, and I'm paraphrasing, that Christians uh, cannot support or be involved in the military, the police, or the judicial system because it is part of the problem. And he believed that if uh, we would just do away with all of those things, that even criminals who he believed knew the difference between love and, and hate and evil and good, that if we all just put away with those things, we would all fall into harmony with each other. And so he believed that they were bad. And out of that sort of thinking uh, came the Anabaptists uh, in the 16th century. And the Anabaptists uh, would not take place in military or uh, the police uh, or the judicial system. They wanted the protection of the government uh, in the sense that they wanted to thrive and, and, and include themselves in commerce, but they didn't want to support it. So because of that, there was much persecution and they spent much of their uh, lives over the last 500 years traveling uh, from Europe, from country to country as they'd be persecuted and into Eastern Europe, Ukraine and Russia. Then they had to come across and flee to Mexico and South America and U.S. and Canada. But there's some problems with their theology because in the Bible, there's many different forms of authority or structure. There's marital authority. Uh, there's parental authority, right? And those are things that the, the government is to stay out of marriage, to stay out of the family. It's up to the parents to raise the child as long as there's not abuses going on, right? And then there's uh, church authority, right? Again, that, that is separate from the government, uh, that the church is supposed to, to sometimes discipline people, not physically, but uh, sometimes uh, they have to words with words and, and publicly amongst each other. And then there's also government authority, which God lays out in Romans 13, verses 1 to 14, that uh, God raises up the government to punish evildoers and to reward uh, those who do right. And so they kind of ignore that the Bible has much to say about uh, structures of authority. And the, and the other challenge I, I would find with a pacifist and their brothers and sisters in Christ, they're well-meaning people. Like I'm not saying they're not Christians, but there's, there's some problems in the pacifistic uh, viewpoint because when you keep running away from persecution and fleeing to places that are free, where you're protected, where no one will hurt you, where you can do your business uh, and live your lives in peace, there's a problem because there's the hypocrisy of, the protection that you're getting from the military and police is allowing you to thrive, right? And, and, and so to be truly a pacifist, I believe you have to go and live in a place where there is no laws, where there is no military, where there is no police, and then endure the persecution uh, and allow the things to happen that would happen. And so I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying that's, that's where I find weaknesses in their theology because Jesus never knocked the military or the police or the judicial systems. Uh, when the centurion came to him and asked him to heal his servant, Jesus didn't say, sir, I'm not dealing with you. You're a soldier and you've killed people. Uh, no, he didn't say that. Uh, he says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 10, 
Truly, I have not found anyone in all of Israel with such great faith. When the soldiers came to, and the police came to John the Baptist and said, what can we do to be saved? Uh, John didn't say, well, quit the military and quit the police. No, he didn't. He said, don't use your authority to abuse and to extort people. Right, so that's a common misconception. Another one uh, that Jesus isn't saying is that Christians don't confront evil. Some people think, some Christians think we just turn our heads and, and just hope the evil will go away. But that's not true. Jesus confronted evil. Uh, on a few occasions, uh, when he went into the temple, he found the temple was corrupted. There was evil men uh, doing things in the temple. They were withholding the people from coming to God and making their sacrifices and atoning. Uh, and, and the temple was for anyone to approach God and, and to find forgiveness through him. But a bunch of corrupt politicians and religious people had set up a money racketing scheme. And so people couldn't come to God if they didn't have the right money. And so what does Jesus do? Matthew chapter 21, verse 12 says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove them out, uh, those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. He says, it is written, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer and you are making it a den of robbers. Another time he went in with a cord of of whip, a whip of cords, like this whip with many different uh, cords on it. And he's whipping people. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, is ticked off in confronting the evil that is happening in his temple. And so sometimes as Christians, we have a horrible history of it as Christians. If you look back, we, we turn a blind eye to evil. Right? Could be evil going on in the church. Could be evil going on in people's homes. Could be evil going on in the street. Could be evil going on in, in our government. And we just turn a blind eye and say, I'm not going to say anything. I, I just need to be a person of peace. That's not what the Bible teaches us. We are to confront it. Another thing that Jesus didn't say is that Christians shouldn't defend themselves. And that's, again, uh, another view of pacifists. Maybe not as extreme as saying there shouldn't be, uh, but there are Plenty of Christians, well-meaning brothers and sisters of Christ who believe you should not defend yourself, right? And they would get that from don't resist a person who's going to do you wrong. But again, I don't think they're looking at it in its context. Uh, look at a few examples. Of course, we know the the, the famous uh, scene where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and the police come to arrest him uh, and Peter pulls out his sword, right? And chops off the ear of uh, one of the servants. And what does Jesus say? He says, stop. Uh, those who live by the sword will die by the sword, right? Which is true. If you use violence to deal with all your problems, you'll die a violent way, right? And so, and he had already confronted Peter earlier on when Peter said, I'm not going to let you be arrested and go and die. And then he says, get behind me, Satan, for for this needs to happen, right? And so Peter's just trying to act out what he's already been condemned for, and he's making a point. Peter, you can't deal with all his life's issues with violence. But then people often don't know Luke 22, verse 36. This is before Jesus is arrested. Jesus said to them, but now you have a purse. If you have a purse, take it. And also if you have a bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Go down to verse 38. Uh, the disciples said, See, Lord, we have two swords. Well, that's enough, he replied. Why, 
why is Jesus telling his disciples, I'm about to leave you and, and, and give myself and you're going to be in this world alone with each other going by a sword? Is it so they could cut up their lunch meat when they're out on the road? No. There's only a reason why people would uh, have a sword back then, to defend themselves. And, and so Jesus didn't say, he did, it's not a catch-all phrase because he told Peter, don't deal with all his life's issues with violence and then ignore this. This was for defense. That's obvious what this was for. And so some Christians think that we just allow people to do whatever we want and we don't even address those issues. Now, sometimes we think we shouldn't address our God-given uh, dignity as human beings and our rights as citizens of a, a free nation. But I'll give you some examples that say we should. Here, I'll give you an example. John 18, verse uh, 22 to 23. Jesus has been arrested, uh, and they. this is what's happening. So he's finished talking. He said these things to them, and one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do not answer the high priest like that. But Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness to the evil. But I, if, if I am well, then why do you strike me? No, Jesus didn't just leave it be. He's, he's bringing up an issue. Hey, if I've done something evil, sure, talk about that. But why are you hitting me without cause? He's defending his dignity as a human being, giving us an example. The same with Paul in uh, Ephesus before uh, Paul was uh, at the end of his missionary journey. He's, he's there and he's casting out demons and he's doing miracles and people are coming to faith. And the people who make religious uh, idols that they sell to people, that people worship, their business is being hurt. And so the people cause a riot. They beat up uh, Peter and his companions, or sorry, Paul and his companions. Then the authorities get them, beat them up too, uh, beat Paul and his compadres up, and they throw them in jail. And then we pick it up in Acts chapter 16, verse 35. It says, when daylight came, the chief magistrates, that's the local police, sent the police to say, release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul. The magistrates have sent orders for you to be released. So come now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they beat us up in public without a trial. Although we're Roman citizens, they threw us in jail. And now they're going to lead us away secretly? Certainly not. On the contrary, let them come themselves and escort us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to appease them, escorting them out of prison. And they urged them to leave town. Do you see that? Paul's a Roman citizen. And as a Roman citizen, you have certain rights. And even though he was in a different town, uh, his rights were abused. And so instead of Paul just saying, it's cool, whatever, he says, no. I'm a Roman citizen, and I have the right not to be treated like this without a trial. You're breaking the laws of the land. And so as Christians, we have to speak up when the laws of the land, which trump the laws of man, are being abused. Again, later, uh, Paul is in trial in Acts 25, and in the trials, he's not being heard. And so he says, uh, you know what? I'm going to use my rights. And he says, uh, I appeal to be that my trial to be held by the emperor by caesar and he was they ordered him to be kept in custody until he could be sent to caesar so you can see that the bible doesn't say we're not to defend ourselves the bible doesn't say we're not to speak when when our dignity as a human being is being violated and our rights in a nation are being violated 
So what is Jesus saying then in these verses? We're going to start it now and finish it next week. Here's one thing the New Testament is clear about. Very clear. That Christians don't seek revenge. Remember, God put in an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth to keep from people, uh, for, to instill limiting vengeance. Now Jesus is taking it even further. And he's saying, Christians don't seek revenge. Let me read for you Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21. He says, repay no, no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. There is a big difference between self-defense or confronting evil than revenge. Okay? Who would agree with me to say that if I see a man forcing himself on a woman, I'm just to say to that woman, you shouldn't resist that man. Would anyone agree with me? Because that's the way some people would take that if they put it in that context. Would somebody say if they see somebody hurting a little child, child, you shouldn't resist that, that person? Would anyone say that? Because that's the way some people would take that if they're taking that literally. There's a difference between self-defense and confronting evil and revenge. Revenge is you've done something to me or somebody that I care about and I'm going to think of a plan, go after the fact, and deal with it myself. That is revenge and that is different from confronting evil and defending yourself. And so God, it says, I've set up authorities for what? To reward those who are good and to punish those who are evil. Now, if a, if a government becomes so corrupt that it doesn't do that, God will deal with that government. And there's plenty of verses that talk about that. But then you are to give it over to God. And you may want to deal with it yourself. You may say, well, I want to deal with it myself. I can't give it over to God. Have you thought about what that means? Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. And I will repay, says the Lord. There's plenty of other verses that speak of this. Sometimes we are, it's better for us to give things over, give people over to God to deal with, than to try and deal with it ourselves. There are people in my life who have hurt me dearly, who have never repented, who have never been brought to justice, that in order not to harbor unforgiveness and resentment inside of myself, I have to pray for them in one of two ways. I say, Jesus, please save them and please bring them out of the, the emptiness and, the, and their brokenness that I once lived in, the evil man that I once. Do to them what you did to me. Or God, deal with them. In other words, Paul is saying, don't go after them yourself. Tell God to sick them. And I've had to do that. God, don't let them stay where they're doing. Either save them and, and transform their hearts or deal with them. And that's a scary concept to give somebody over to the hands of God for his wrath. But that is what we are called to do. And if, like if you traveled the Middle East, I can remember when we would be traveling throughout the provinces, the districts, the tribal districts would be separated by rocks. So there'd literally be miles and miles of these little rock 
walls. I'm like, yay, yay big. And, and they would tell me, the interpreters would say, oh, this is this tribe's, and this is this tribe's, and they have a blood feud going on. And it, and it happened like 100 years ago, where this person did something to this family, and so now if anyone from this family is caught on their land, they can kill them because they seek revenge generations later. And that's one of the reasons why the Middle East is such a mess of ongoing violence and war. But God is telling us, no, 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 Christian, forgive and give it over to me. Let it go. Don't harbor the, that evil and that unforgiveness. And some people will seek revenge uh, with their hands, with their fists, with their power. But some Christians, and this would be more us, we seek revenge in our hearts with our words. We, we make people pay for, for generations to come. and for uh, Remember what you did to me five years ago? Yeah, that's, remember that? You hurt me a lot, right? And we just hold in this resentment in our hearts, this unforgiveness, and it, and it becomes a, a vine, which the Bible says chokes out goodness and, and, and infects our whole lives. And God says, give it over to me. Give it over to me. And so we are not to be called uh, to be people that seek vengeance. I remember when I was in school, they, uh, the pastor read me, a, a, he read a, a story. Um, the pastor was teaching us pastoral um, and he, theology, and he was teaching us, he was talking about how to deal with opposition from the church. And he says uh, that when people are, he, he brought up this uh, story of this pastor who was doing his best, and he was a God-loving man, but there's this group of people, uh, these men in the church that had a lot of power. And these men were slandering him and making his life miserable, not acting as Christians should do. Uh, and none, nobody in the church had any guts to stand up to these men. And so the pastor just kept giving it over to God and giving it over to God. And, and he, he read it that, that two of the men within a couple of months died, dropped dead. And the third one got really sick. And all of a sudden there was this fear that, whoa, God is dealing with this, this dysfunction in his church. And God will. So that's a Christian principle. We don't seek vengeance. And I'm not saying that it's easy because it's not easy. It wasn't easy for Paul. Look at Paul in Acts 23, uh, verses 1 to 3. Uh, Paul has been arrested. He was arrested many times. And so he's standing in front of the religious leaders. Uh, verse 1, and it says, Paul looked directly at the Sanhedrin and said, Brothers, I have conducted myself before God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. And Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit here and judge me according to the law, yet you yourselves violate the law by commanding that I be struck. But one of those standing nearby said, how dare you insult the high priest of God? <sighs> Brothers, Paul replied, I was not aware that he was the high priest, for it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. The high priest would change from year to year. So it wasn't always the same person. And so Paul's been out of the game for a couple of decades. He's been on his missionary trip, and he's arrested, uh, and he doesn't know. But you see, what do we see here? Paul's the same guy in Romans that was telling us not to seek vengeance for vengeance. And, and yet here we see him losing his temper, right? He's human. And that's why God's word is so awesome because God wants us to see humans in transition. God is working on us. Christians, if you think you're perfect, you're not. Let me tell you, if I think I'm perfect, 
Trust me, I am not. I'm a work in progress. And just because we desire these things and God desires these things in us doesn't mean we're not going to mess up, doesn't mean we're not going to struggle with it, but we keep going forward. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit changing us. Okay, so now let's just, let's just center in and we'll, we'll carry this on in next week. The kingdom of the kingdom Christian, and we've been talking about this from the start. The kingdom Christian is the kind of person who does everything they can to win people to Christ. That is the Christian's mindset. And so in that, as we've been looking at Jesus saying this, now let's read his words. He says, on the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you, take his shirt, take away your shirt and take away your shirt. Let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. So let's remember the context. We're they're living in first century Israel. He's talking to Jews who have been under occupation for 67 years. Imagine enemy forces occupying your town for 67 years. Uh, they're planning a revolt. They believe he's brought, in, he's brought them in to defeat the Romans. So what is this slapping on the right cheek? Okay, so most people, 9 out of 10 of you are righties, Right? The Romans, they fought in a unit. Uh, so they fought in a line, and they, they were very dependent on each other. So they were trained to hold their shields with their left hand so they could be interlocked and to fight with their spear or their sword with their right hand. Even if they were left-handed, they trained to fight as right-handed. The left hand in the Middle East, okay, before they had toilet paper, was used to wipe your rear end. Okay, in the Middle East, they take sand with your left hand, and you do your business. I've seen it. They still do it that way. And so this was a filthy hand. And so you didn't touch people with this hand. You don't eat with this hand. In the Middle East, you don't raise this hand and wave to people. It's an insult. This is the high. And so what is this right cheek? Because if, if Romans, if people would hit people with the right hand, uh, then what is Jesus talking about if anyone slaps you in your right cheek? Because if I swing with my right hand, which cheek am I hitting? Somebody said it. You're all thinking about it. The left, right? The left, right? Because it's opposite. And right, so that's not true. If I'm hitting the left and he's saying, if somebody hits you on the right cheek. So what's he talking about? Context, context. It's the first century. There's a historian, um, Paul Panay, he lays it out quite well. He says, Roman soldiers tended to be right-handed. They struck an equal with their fist. They came, it came from the right side and made contact with the left side of the face. When they struck an inferior person, they swung with a backhand and they made contact with the right cheek. In the Mediterranean culture, that they made clear distinctions between classes. Roman citizens backhanded their subjects to make a point. Jews were second class citizens. The Roman slap was an insult to the Jews' personal dignity. A slap on the right-handed uh, a black-handed slap was a demeaning slap. It was degrading. It was meant to make the person feel like garbage. Okay? And, and what would we typically do? Oh, you abused me. Oh, how could you do that? Oh, you're, I'm calling my member of parliament, right? Like that's, that's sort of the victimized state that we live in today. But Jesus, okay, this is religious persecution. And there's a big difference right? When Jesus talks about persecution because of following me, there's a difference than everyday uh, self 
defense. So listen to what he says here. The soldier's only option was to slap you uh, with the palm, the backhand, the way you would slap a slave. So they can't slap you normally. This was only revised for equals. Thus, giving the other cheek the degraded person, so they're slapped, right? They give the other cheek. What are they not doing? They're not giving in to that person's persecution, that person's hatred. It's a humble response, he writes, yet an act of courage against a progressive an oppressive system. It asserts a person's humanity in a brave counter move. Are you getting what Jesus is saying? If the Romans backhand you like they normally do, don't hit them back. Don't start a revolt. Don't cry and let them have their power over you because that's the way bullies deal with things. If they feel they have power over you, then they'll keep harassing you. But if you respond like it doesn't even matter, they'll leave you alone. And so when he slaps you, Give them the other one. What does it do? One, it disarms them. Two, it shows them that you're saying they have, I have dignity and value. He, I'm saying slap me like you would slap an equal. So what is the, the coat? Well, the coat in the Middle East, it may not be anything dust, but people would have their shirt and then they would have a coat or a, a coat or a cloak, they would call it. And the coat, the cloak was like a blanket. They would wrap it around them at night because a lot of the times they would sleep in the elements and there wasn't heat outside of uh, what you could burn or coal. And so they would wrap it around. So it's very valuable. And, and Jesus is saying, again, if somebody's going to make a big deal and, and steal your shirt, give them your coat, show them. You don't have power over me. I belong to a different kingdom. I belong to Christ. And therefore, I'm not going to give in to this persecution. What is this one mile stuff he's talking about? Well, again, historians tell us that anyone who is any nation that was under the occupation of Rome, any Roman soldier could tell any citizen that was non-Roman to carry their armor for a mile at any point. You carry my armor for a mile. And by law, by Roman law, you had to carry that armor for a mile. And so instead of throwing it in his face, you carry your filthy Roman or, or just crying and making a big deal of it and giving the guy power. Yeah, look at, look at these puny Christians. Jesus is saying, sure, I'll carry it. I'll carry them. Let's carry it two miles. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. See, it's disarming the bully. It's showing them a different way of living. And so it'd be like at work if, if somebody knows you're a Christian and they say, hey, you, go clean the bathrooms and pray to your God. Say, you could either make a big deal that, how dare you offend my rights and so on and so forth. Or you could say, sure, and I'll clean the, ba- I'll clean the sinks after that too. Right? What is it? They'd be mind blown. And it all comes back to this idea that we as Christians are to do everything we can to win non-believers to the kingdom, to Bring them to a place where they want to know what is different from us. And so the world says, act violently. Or the world says, be a victim. Christ says, be confident in me. Don't seek revenge. But give them supernatural love, supernatural grace. Uh, The kind of grace that Abraham showed Lot by giving him first choice of the fields uh, that they could choose for their cattle. It's the kind of grace that David showed Saul by not killing him when he had the chance. It's the same sort of grace that Stephen showed uh, the people who were stoning him to death when he prayed for them. Same kind of grace that Joseph showed his brothers when he had the chance to seek revenge. It's the same sort of grace that Jesus showed by praying for those who were killing him, which won the heart of the the hardened criminal next to him. 
That's the kind of grace that Jesus is talking about. Supernatural that demonstrates we are not from this world, but we're from a different world. And so, as we close, I want you to think about who in your life are you harboring unforgiveness towards? Who in your life are you that's treated you wrong? Are you holding a grudge towards? Who are you making pay in some way, shape, or form? Maybe it's your spouse. They hurt you in some way. Maybe it's your your parents. They let you down in a certain way. Maybe it's your kids. Uh, They haven't treated you with the respect and honor. Maybe it's your neighbor, and you have a feud with them, even though you're a Christian, an ongoing feud that that's the neighbor you don't like. Or, Or maybe it's your coworker. Who is it? Who is it that you need to give over to God? Who is it that you need to show supernatural grace to? Who is it that you need to demonstrate to that you belong to a different kingdom than the kingdom of this world? Let's pray. God, these are not easy things. I admit they're not easier for me. But I want them. I want to be that. I want to be a person who doesn't live by violence. I want to be a defender of the innocent. I want to be a protector of the vulnerable. Uh, Lord, but I also want to be a person who shows grace and kindness and and a supernatural compassion. Lord, would you help us as Christians uh, to walk a balanced Christian life, not to be in the extremes, uh, into the ditches, uh, but to walk faithfully as we live in this broken world, surrounded by uh, hardships and by broken people, Lord, so we can shine your light in our lives and bring people into the kingdom before it's too late. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.